real quick, I, I just want to let you know if you're new, um, I'm the, the lead pastor here for predominant teaching pastor, and right now we're going through the book of Titus. Um, I want to say to everyone else, though, that, that uh, it's starting in about three weeks, we're going to go through the book of Psalms, and I actually um, um, very intentionally picked Titus. I, I was going to go through it and kind of just do that as um, uh, the guy here for Redemption Peoria, um, because as we go into Psalms, um, we have 10 weeks of Psalms, and I'm actually kind of excited about it because um, I'm only going to do five of those 10. You're going to hear a, a slew of different uh, teachers up here over the summer, which I really am excited about. Got local guys um, that are here, uh, that are, are pastoring churches, uh, some of your elders here, a guy who was uh, born and raised in Peoria, and he's pastoring now in Gateway, so just a, a bunch of different teachers. So we're excited about that. We'll start that in three weeks. Um, and I probably should say again, just like John said, uh, happy Mother's Day. I, I want to say to the moms, listen, the food trucks that's going to be out there, um, it's literally called Alfagato. Alfagato, I never know how to pronounce it. Candace has corrected me like 10 times in how to, but it's express over ice cream, right? Okay. Which gives some to your kids. You know what I'm saying? Get at it. Um, okay. But, but uh, go out there and, and it's free and we're really excited to have that there. Um, so if you guys can, open up your Bibles to, to uh, Titus 3. And if you want, you can actually open up to Titus 1, um, because I want to just do a real quick uh, recap of where we are, because maybe some of you guys were, haven't been here and, and aren't able to connect some of the dots. What we had started with, um, as you look at your Bibles, is the first four verses in chapter 1 uh, basically unearth this idea that we have the knowledge of the truth, what prompts us to grow in godliness. Now, Titus is a book written by a guy named Paul to Titus, who's a pastor. And he's trying to pastor local, uh, his local body, the, pe- the people in his church. And so um, what Titus, and I've said this every week, affords us is the ability to be introspective as a church. So this morning, uh, when I make that first statement, the first four, vor- first four verses, that we have knowledge of truth that corresponds with godliness, I'm talking to Christians. So if you're not a Christian here, that's fine, but just just so you know what, what Titus is going to do, it's going to lend its hand to be talking specifically to, to Christians, okay? Now that knowledge of the truth immediately, what he does with this is he leads into, as you can see in, in Titus 1, if you're in there, to talking about elders. Verses 5 through 9, we, we talked about elders. And from going on from elders, it was important to establish a foundation of elders because immediately, verses 10 through 16, he gets at what's going on within the specific church. And what we found out what was going on was there were these legalists, these people who were kind of playing the game of Christianity and trying to make other people play the game of Christianity, kind of putting up rules and parameters as to how they should act within their Christianity. And, and, and they needed elders to, to push against that, Okay. But furthermore, what we found from there, and you'll see why we need to connect these, these train cards here, is because um, the, the correct response to, to pushing against legalism, the correct response to pushing against have-tos, is Paul's immediate is to go, well, let me show you how to, okay? And he began to lay out what is a, a good interaction in the household of God within the households of our churches. So he talked about older women and younger women, older men and younger men, employees, servants, whatever it is, kind of laying out, here's a good response to that. Then immediately from there, if you remember last week, what he did is he said, okay, here's how you do this. Here's how we act out Christianity, but let's talk about motive. And, and so he said, here's what motivates you to act on your Christianity. And the thing that drives our Christianity over and over and over and over again, the thing that drives us to have no one to impress, no, no, no reason to perform in whatso, uh, uh, what way whatsoever, uh, what, what drives us to continue to say no to certain things and yes to certain things is grace. Grace trains us is what we came to find out. It trains us. And as it trains us, as we continue to do that, the question on the table is, what is grace? 
Like, it's a word we use a lot, but like, can we get at the definition or um, how it plays itself out? Like, as a church, if this is going to be an introspective moment, we use that, I'm saved by grace through faith. Well, what does that mean? And so what Paul's going to have us do, actually, is he's going to have us put on our theological hats this morning, um, and we're going to have to process seven verses in chapter three, and we're going to be able to get at the depths of what grace is. Um, so I'm excited to do that. Here's what I will say. Um, what I, what I believe the Bible is going to put in here is a conversation I've actually had with about a dozen people over the last two months, really trying to understand what we believe at redemption um, and how it's different maybe than, than some of the ways that you grew up or some of the ways that you know. And so I'm going to put in front of you, not for the sake of argument, but because this is honestly what I believe the Bible is putting in front of us right now. Now, maybe you don't know what I mean by that. That's fine. But maybe you'll get there in a second as I unpack it. Okay, so Titus chapter three. Let's, uh, let's, let's go at this. Um, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read them real quick, just briefly explain them. But at the end, I'll, I'll come back to verses 1 and 2. And actually, even next week, I will talk a little bit more about verses 1 and 2 as well. So this is what it says, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them, so going back to, to, to what we had just said in training and in, uh, um, the training of grace, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all men. So he's going to go straight from the jump of chapter three. Now there is no chapter breaks. It's just one long letter when he's writing this. He's not going chapter three, verse one. Okay. He's just writing this letter and we've broken it up. So from the jump of chapter three, he's going to say, remind them, which in our passage today is the only command. It's the only imperative. He's telling Titus, I need you to remind them of this, that there are things that you need to do. So go back to last week. Grace trains us to do things. And what I, what I tried to put in front of us from the beginning of Titus is um, we're going to feel like we're bowling with bumpers. We've thrown our bowling ball and it's going to bounce back and forth. It's going to be grace. Okay, cool, grace. Wait, works. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to do works. Oh, yeah, grace. Oh, yeah, cool, grace. Okay, works. And so we're going to feel like we're going back and forth, back and forth. And so here he goes again, talking about the bigness of grace leading into, but remind them at the same time that grace trains you to, and he goes through this list, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, which is huge for the people who are in the church, but just also for the church who um, deal with government. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, which is going on a ton within this church, and to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, I want to unpack that more at the end of our time together. So I want to go to verse 3, and then you'll see why I want to hold it off um, till the end. Here's what it says. Verse 3. 4. Okay? So we've said what we've said about grace, and I hate to continue to stop, and if you're new, I'm going to do that a lot. We're going to read a section, I'm going to explain it, read a section, and I'm going to explain it. But this four is in response, uh, uh, so that, or so, or that, so, okay. Because of, for, we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Happy Mother's Day, okay? <laughs> okay, Here, here's, here's what I, I, I'm going to put in front of us. We are going to dive deep into what grace is. And I'm going to do my best to unpack the depths of grace. 
And every time Paul does this, when he begins to unpack grace the way that we believe it's biblically, hermeneutically correct to do, um, he always starts with the depths of where we were. He does this in Ephesians 2. He does this in 1 Corinthians 6. As a matter of fact, the entire book of Romans is actually formatted in this way to see where we were. And it's going to start, if you're a Christian in here, hear the word, it's a big word, and you were. So, so, so here's where Paul's going to talk about. I want to talk about grace. Before I do, let's talk about where you were. This is where you were. Now, this is a big deal because as he unpacks where you were, we're going to see the depths. And, and it's a lot harder for those of you who grew up in church because you don't know what it was like to see your little pharisaical heart trying to tort the, the, the hand of God in elementary or middle school. And it's a lot easier for some of us who got saved in high school, college, in our adulthood, whatever it was, because we can remember moments where we were clearly these things. But he's going to call out wherever you were before Jesus Christ, this is how you are defined. Now, to put it on the table simply as, as we unpack what is foolish, led astray, uh, uh, disobedient, and slaves to various passions and pleasures. I want you to understand this is not the only place that the Bible is going to describe where we were. I want to, to do the best of my ability, is unearth something that happens in the Gospels. There's a story in Luke 7 where a woman, a hooker, comes to Jesus. And as she comes to Jesus, she begins to wash his feet, okay? And as the the religious people are looking around at this woman, they go, dude, do you know who's touching you right now? And and Jesus begins to interact with his disciples, knowing who who this woman is, and he makes this declaration. He says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who've been forgiven much, love much. So uh, this is, let's, let's put it some, some easy semantics. Um, if, if I owe you a dollar, right? And you're like, hey, bro, you owe me a dollar and I pay you that dollar, okay? Um, or or let's, let's, let's just say I don't owe you at all. Let's just say you need a dollar, right? For the vending machine, okay? When I hand you that dollar, you're like, dude, thanks so much. And you put it in the vending machine. But let's say someone comes to you and decides to pay all of your student loans. Say you got 40 Gs that you got to cover. And someone says, hey, I'd like to cover those student loans, you would not act the same way as you did to me giving you a dollar. Oh, thanks, bro. Yeah, 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 I'll take the 40 Gs. Here's my bank account. You would not act that way. Like, that, that's just not the reality of it. You, wait, are you serious? Now, you also wouldn't act that way when I gave you a dollar. Here's your dollar. You would go, oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, okay? So, so there's a clear interaction that takes place. And those of us who recognize we've been forgiven much, We will love much. We will react differently. And so Paul's going to bring us to that place, but this is not the only time he's going to do it. So let me um, set up with you kind of systematically how we're going to get there. Now, what this is going to do, are you ready for this? This is going to push against your American ethos. Uh, Tim Chester, the book that I said I was reading, to kind of track with Titus, I think says it really well when he says this, 21st century Western culture is all about self-esteem and self-image. It is all about me and how I feel about myself. So if anyone threatens that with, um, with an uncompromising dose of, um, sorry, let me read that again. So if anyone threatens that with an uncompromising dose of truth, then it feels like an attack on me. We must all pretend we are wonderful people and ignore and excuse all evidence to the contrary. So um, the age-old question of is man born good or evil, right? I don't want to fully get into this. But what the Bible shows us is that God made us good. He made us good. Matter of fact, we were very good. But because of our, our, our choice in sin, we're, we're now broken. And because we're broken, that, that, that leads to brokenness. So you're not a sinner because you sin. You, you sin because you're a sinner. 
And so let me just kind of walk you through scripture, how scripture is going to unpack verse three. So let me give you, like I did last week, a slew of verses to do this. So let's first start in Ecclesiastes 7.29. It says this, see this alone I found that God made man upright. What I just talked about. God man made upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Romans 11.32, for God has co-signed all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Now, all of this is taking place and it's coming from within us because it doesn't end there. It goes on to say, Mark uh, 7, 21 through 23 says this, hear this, for from within, for from within, out of our heart, the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Those things are not outside of us. They're coming from within. From the biblical worldview, those things are coming from within us. Matthew gives the, the same exact list that's a parallel to that, but even adds a couple words in Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. Now, all of this is taking place, coming from within us, and the Bible's painting a picture of where we were before Jesus Christ. And it's not that it's just like, it's something that we adapted culturally. No, this has always been the way that it has within us because of Genesis 3. Because of Genesis 3, we are, and I quote, listen to Genesis 6, 5, 8, through 20, 8 and 21, same thing, these parallels. Um, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. Here, this from his youth continues on Romans 8 7 for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot Psalm 51 5 behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me so from birth okay now I'm not sitting here uh, we're fostering Anna right now I'm not sitting here like oh you little sinner right okay the reality, though, is that, that, that her proclivity as she grows up will be to sin, okay? This is what it's painting. It's not done. Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged, estranged from the youth. They go astray from birth, speaking lies, okay? Now, you may not like that because you see that cute little innocent, right? But they only care about themselves. Let's be straight. Like waking up at 3 a.m., they're like, hey, if you want to sleep, I'll feed myself, right? Ain't no child doing that, Okay? So, so here, here's what I'm saying. They're, they're naturally, because of Genesis 3, they're, they're thinking inward. Now, that's not evil. I, we feed your kids at 3 a.m., okay? Um, now, let me explain why this is happening as these verses continue to go on. We're, we're doing these things according to Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Hear this. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. So I need you to hear this. They are darkened. That, that darkened there is in the perfect tense in Greek, meaning that you from your birth have been darkened. You have been blinded. So he's describing a, a past uh, place where here's where people before they knew God, they were darkened in their understanding. They, they didn't know. They didn't know. They, they, they were lost. They were tricked. They were slaves. Now it continues on because we're not done with this. Um, I think the immediate question that we have to ask um, is, okay, so here's where we were. We, we were. we were in this place from our womb. We, we, we were, we're just naturally broken. We're, our proclivity is naturally going to choose not God because of Genesis 3. What can we do about it? And Jeremiah says this. Now, I'm going I'm to read Jeremiah, but I'm not kidding when I say maybe four or five dozen verses I can put in front of you to talk about what we can do as man. If we're going to talk about grace, what is unmerited favor? What can we do as man to respond to this brokenness? This is what it says. Um, Jeremiah 13, 23. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? 
then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. I mean, so, so what he says, like, can you change your race? Can you change your race? Like if you were a leopard, a leopard, if you were a leper, if you were a leopard, legit, okay? <laughs> if you were a leper, can, can you just stop, stop being a leper? Like you got the flu. I just, all right, I'm done. I, I, I don't want the flu anymore. No, you can't, you can't change how, what's going, you, you cannot force yourself to do that. Can an Ethiopian change his color? No. If you're white, can you choose to be black? No. It doesn't work like that. And, and I think it's important that you understand that's how deep the Bible puts our brokenness. Listen, you, you weren't just far off from God because you looked at pornography, man. You weren't just far off from God because you cheated on your wife or you're greedy or you're a gossip or you're selfish or you're angry. That's not why you were far off from God. You chose to do those things because you were far off from God. So, so, so as the Bible paints this picture of where we were, it's bad. Now, now listen, there's a systematic approach that I think Paul lays out in saying this. This is what he says. Let's read it again. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray, and we were slaves. I think it's important that he starts with this idea of we were foolish. So we didn't know. We were literally translated ignorant. So we did those things. All the things that you can remember, those of you who got saved in your adult life, all those things you did, you did it because you didn't know. I mean, you would even maybe admit now, if I would have known, I wouldn't have done those things. But, but you were foolish. You didn't know because you didn't want to know. You were disobedient. Now, you were disobedient because, hear this, you were led astray. You were, you were tricked. So you thought the joy was found in this way. You, uh, Ephesians 2 literally paints you as like a zombie. You were dead in your trespasses. You didn't know these things, and so you were going after what you thought would bring joy. But, but the problem is you were, you were tricked into doing that, and you were tricked, but not only were you tricked, you were also trapped because you were slaves to it. So... so um, this is going to sound crazy, and I've thought like long and hard even this morning about giving this example, but I, I, to understand the, the depths of what I'm trying, the nuance of what I'm trying to put in front of you, it's, it's a kind of coarse uh, um, analogy, but I'm going to put it out in front of you, okay? Um, I've really been fascinated, uh, especially the last probably four days, with Warren Jeffs. Um, if you don't know who Warren Jeffs is, he started the FLDS, the um, Fundamental Latter-day Saints movement in Colorado City. It's the, it, was, it was the largest uh, polygamist um, movement uh, um, compound in, in the United States, um, maybe in the world. Um, and, and the reason this is interesting, and this isn't against Mormons, right? This is a matter of fact, most Mormons don't like the FLDS. And now Warren Jeffs is the one who ran this whole thing. And they've made movies and you can watch crazy documentaries on this stuff. But what's so interesting is Candace and I watched a documentary a while ago, and I've recently watched a new one. Um, what's so mind-blowing about this whole thing, right, is you have in Colorado City this kind of closed-off culture. You have this kind of this fence, so if you try to drive into the city, you'll immediately be followed by white vans and trucks. Like, they will make sure you don't talk to their kids. They'll make sure they don't talk to, to, to the women. And, and the culture that's being built is that you, as a male, are so dominant that, that, that you begin to identify kids as early as 14 and 15 girls to marry, right? Now, you already have a wife, so that 14-year-old is now your eighth wife, your ninth wife, right? And, of course, the guy who starts it, all your money, he's the prophet. I mean, it's so funny in cults. Like, <laughs> you think it would be obvious, right? Like, why is all the money going to him, and why does he have, like, 40 wives? Like, you think this would be obvious, but it's not. It's not. Like, you look at that situation and go, why are these people there? Why are these people there? They're there because they're ignorant. 
Like what's crazy is as these people come out of this, come out of the, com- the, the compounds and begin to talk, they, they don't know who the presidents of the United States were. They know who the prophets were in order, but they, they know certain songs. They, they don't know anything about culture. They've been so um, set apart that that way of life was the way that it is. What are you talking about? It's bad. All they knew was this way of life. And hear me, this is huge because this is where we turn the corner. It took someone from the outside of Colorado City. It took something, a force, the police force, from the outside of this compound, of this little cult, um, maybe, I don't know, 20,000 people to come in and forcefully remove these kids. They didn't want to be removed. They're crying. And you look at them and go, but we're freeing you. But kicking and screaming, they don't want to be removed from this life. Martin Luther calls this alien grace. That we were in that place. And man, listen, I'm not saying all Mormons are polygamists. I'm not saying before your previous life you were a polygamist. Breathe. I'm saying the the analogy, the, the analogy set in is to go, man, you were in this place and you thought it was everything. That's all you knew. And that's the way the Bible is painting it. You, you, were, you were foolish, you were led astray, you were disobedient, you were slaves to various passions and pleasures. I'm not a big acronym guy, but isn't it weird that he says, you were foolish, led astray, disobedient, slaves to various passions, F-L-D-S, weird. <laughs> Just saying, okay? So, 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 here's, so, so it's painted in this direction, it's painted in this direction that it requires this, this alien grace. And he goes on to say, and, and you're passing your days in malice and envy. You're hated by one another. This is the life you knew. This is what you knew. You were stuck. And hear me, you could not change yourself. You, 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 you would not change yourself. But the next word is so huge for us, isn't it? This is actually the, the, this word Paul uses every single time when he talks about this subject. It's a silly word in Greek, it's day, but it, our word, we, we do it on the other hand, or, or more specifically, but. So he goes on to say this in verse four. That's where we were, we were foolish, led astray. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, let me, let me just stop real quick. Um, that's where we were, but when the goodness and loving kindness uh, you might know what goodness is, but, but loving kindness is a really cool word. Um, in, in, in Greek, it's philanthropia. What, what, what word do you think we get from that, right? Philanthropy. In Greek, it's this, this compound word. And philanthropy is, is the idea of uh, philos, is, is this word of lover, like a friend-type love. Anthropos is where we get our word of mankind. Literally, it says, but when God our Savior, the, the lover of mankind, appeared. He's the alter, ultimate philanthropist. He, he comes on the scene and he loves man dearly. He cares for him dearly. We see a perfect example of this in Ezekiel 16 as described as a baby stuck, just born. Its mother had aborted it and it's laying there dead in a field. But a man comes up and picks that child up and nurtures it back to health. This is a, a lover of mankind. That God stepped into that place, like the police force into that polygamous culture and said, I know you think this is where it's at, but I promise you it's not. And God woke us up. So there we were, but, but God in his loving kindness, he appeared. And you remember that word appeared is in chapter two, verse 11. We would say it's Jesus. So when Jesus appeared, a lover of mankind, he came to your rescue. So here you were, but God came to your rescue. 
you were trying to run off a cliff, but God came to your rescue. You were stuck in your sins, but God came to your rescue. You were a slave. You were a slave to passions and pleasures. Ironically enough, passions and pleasures in our culture are painted as awesome things, but you can become a slave to those things. You were a slave to them. God saved you, but God entered in the ultimate lover of mankind. He appeared, and it says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So this is where we get to the nuts and bolts. You ready? I want you to look at verses five, verse 5, um, and we'll even do 6, but let's start in verse 5. There's a statement here, and it has two caveats. So I need you to do a little um, uh, literature work here, okay? He's going to say, he saved us, and then he's going to say his first caveat. He saved us. God appeared where we were. He saved us. First caveat, not because of works done by us in righteousness. So he saved us. There's a caveat before he explains how. He saved us. Not because, and hear this, this is what he's not saying. He's not saying, I saved you even though you were a super super sinner. No, he's saying, I saved you not despite your sin, but I saved you despite your good works. I saved you even though you had all these accolades put in your corner. I saved you though you had all the chips. That you think you had it all together. I saved you even though you think you're a good person, you still needed to be saved. So the first caveat, he, 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 he says that. And uh, Larry Osborne, I think, says that perfectly on the good works front. We've talked about it a million times. But in his, his book, Accidental Pharisee, I think he says this really well. He says, our spiritual comparisons are also incredibly biased. We have an amazing ability to compare things in a way that cause us to come out on top. And when we come out on top, it's hard not to look down on people who don't measure up. So those good works that you say, I'm a good person, is to assume other people are not good people. And that, that's funny because you're, you're doing on a basis of your good works. But God says, those are filthy rags, man. Those, that's not why I love you. you. You were foolish. You were led astray. You were disobedient. You were a slave. It's not because you were awesome. So that's the first caveat. But then he gives a second caveat. So again, he saved us, second ca- caveat, according to his own mercy. So it's not because of how awesome we were, but because of his own mercy. So now I want to put this together. If you were to remove those caveats, this is what he's saying, okay? He saved us, first caveat, not because of works done by us in righteousness, second caveat, but according to his own mercy. So here's how I would play out verses four and five. He saved us by, so this is literally how you are saved. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? You were, forget the Mormon analogy, you were stuck in your your sins. You were a slave, Remove the caveats, and this is how he saved you, by the washing of regeneration. Now, maybe we don't know what that means, but um, let me do my best to explain it. It appears only twice in the Bible. Once here, and Jesus actually quotes it. Literally translated in Greek, you know what it means? It means Genesis again. Genesis again. He, He saved us by Genesis again. Where did we, where, where did we get broken, y'all? Where did we get broken? Genesis 3, right? Genesis 3. So, so he comes on the scene and he goes, wake up. Be, be born again. That's the language we get from born again. Be born again. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. I've made you good. See. Have your eyes opened. Matter of fact, um, in, in the other plate that, place that I said it was in is in Matthew 19, 28. It says this. Truly I say to you, in the new world... 
When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Literally, so, so translated, if you were to say, truly I say to you, in the new world, is, is, that's a loose translation, because you can honestly say, in the, uh, truly I say to you, not in the new world, but truly I say to you, in the regeneration. So, so when it's all said and done, God is going to take the earth. He's not going to crumble it up and throw it away. He's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things new, and it's going to be awesome. And that is regeneration, and that is what he has done in you. Check it out. So here, you ready for this? Okay, I'm, I'm hoping I'm doing this well. If not, I'm sorry. Um, so here you were stuck in your sins. You would not have seen unless God woke you up. And now your immediate response is, but I had faith on him. So all that I'm putting in front of you right now is this. When it came to God, God acted first. So maybe you walked an aisle and signed a card. Maybe at one point in church, you, everyone closed their eyes and you raised your hand and you had faith on Jesus Christ. But the reality is you only had that faith because of Genesis again, because of regeneration, because God came to you first. You would not have seen unless he showed you. You would not have known unless he revealed to you. You would not have believed unless he spoke to you. This is regeneration. This takes place before you knew Jesus Christ. As you're sitting there, maybe even right now, and you're not a believer, you're hearing what I'm saying and you're going, oh my gosh, I can see it. You would not have seen it otherwise. And let me prove it to you because this is what he says in 2 Timothy um, chapter 2, verses 25. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth that they may come to their senses. So, so God gives them uh, a chance to repent that, so that they can come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil and after being captured by him to do his will. So, so the idea that is put in front of us is here you were captured, but God genesis again. He woke you up. He said, hey, buddy, you're in slavery. You need to see this. And that, listen, you want to know why grace is so awesome? You did not do that. You did not do that. And what's so crazy to me is every time I talk to someone who just becomes a believer, they remember their salvation story and they remember very distinctly. And when they talk about it, they, they go, yeah, I don't know why, but God just spoke to me and I was, uh, suddenly I knew it. And it's this crazy alien grace outside of us that came to us. But suddenly, as we begin to walk with Jesus, we begin to use the, the, the pronoun I a lot more. And, and it becomes a lot harder for us to understand how this happened. But, but very experientially, those of you who just recently got saved, you go, dude, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I would not have chosen. I would, have, I would not have done this. God acted first. And because of that, you said, God, I, I want to be with you forever. This, this is a beautiful doctrine. And that's why grace is so big. That's why grace is so big. And that's why it's grace alone. This is literally what, what um, reformers in the 15 and 16, 1700s died for. Literally being beheaded. That it's not how you play this out. It is because God came to you and he saved you. He woke you up. You were a slave and he freed you from your slavery. The classic quote of this is by Harriet Tubman where she said, I freed a thousand slaves and I would have freed a thousand more if they would have known they were slaves. The, 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 idea, the idea comes from this that, that you didn't know, but God woke you up. So that is grace alone. That is salvation. That is why it's a big deal. Now, um, it doesn't end there because he continues to go on in the section as he talks about the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit as he continues to, uh, to make us new. But, but um, 
there are a ton of verses that I want you to see in this, and I know I'm running out of time, so, so hear these verses as, as I read them. I think I have some of them for you on the screen, but just so you can see the depths of where you were and God doing this. I need you to understand how deep you were, and I need you to understand how much God did. Forget what I need to... Paul is trying to unpack how big... Forget Paul. The Holy Spirit is trying to unpack how deep you were in this mess and how great God came to save you from it. And if you can understand that, if you can see the beauty of that, then you will know it is grace alone and not dependent on you. Then every time you feel like I'm so far from God, I'm ne- he doesn't love me, you will know, what are you talking about? Like, that it was never about you being close to God. He had always been the initiator. He had always been the big deal. So this is what it says, 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God, our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He caused us to be born again. Acts 16, 13 through 14. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who is a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. There she was. God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your, fle- uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So I will take what you have and I will remove you. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We love to put it on coffee mugs, but we don't understand the depths of it. That you were a, a old this, this old thing and he has made you a new creation. Genesis again. It's not, not, we're not done. Colossians 2.13, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. John uh, 6 is full of this, but let me read two verses, 44 and 65. No one can come to me unless the father who, um, who, who sent me draws him. And no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. So God does something within you and you go, Jesus, I want you. So yes, you do choose Jesus Christ. Yes, so every, everything within you, if you're connecting the dots right now, you're going, wait a minute, I got free will, okay? Just breathe, okay? Because you do choose Jesus Christ. But because he did something first, you would not have chosen Jesus Christ unless he woke you up. You were a slave. You were trapped. You thought this is all there was. But he, according to, to Lydia's story, opened her heart. He opened your heart. So can you say on that day when you said you accepted Jesus Christ or now you're following Jesus Christ that, yeah, yeah, I figured it out. It was my, my wisdom. It was my swag. It was my knowledge. It was whatever. No, it wasn't. God opened our heart. And this is good news because of verse seven. Let's wrap it up with this. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is good news on two fronts. If God did it, then here's what you can do. You can look towards your salvation in the future that God is going to save you. You will spend eternity with him and it's not as you walk to him and if you trip and fall into the pit, then you're done for. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God saved you. He's doing things within you. He, he, will, he will perfect this faith that he started according to Hebrews. He's gonna continue to play it out. He's beautiful in that way. So that's the first one. Have security in that. No matter what Satan tells you, how far, how screwed up, how much you're messing up, listen, it was never about those things in the first place, and it's not now. But here's the cool thing. According to verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not just about eternal life, but it's about our narrative changing. Now suddenly, this becomes a big deal to me personally. 
So, so there's a personal thing and a theological thing that I want to share with you as we close. Um, and I come from, those of you who know my story, um, from drug addict parents. Both my parents were never married. Um, they, uh, it, was, it was a short little fling that they had, maybe a month or two. Uh, and uh, they, they did meth, I don't know, since I've known them. And it wasn't like a divorce issue or custody thing because drug addicts don't want to go stand before a judge. And so I would sometimes be with my mom and sometimes be with my dad or, or, or whatever it was. Um, and we grew up sleeping in cars and parks um, in, in the sunny slope area in the hood. And um, that, that was kind of my life, right? And so when I get into high school, um, in junior high, I went through some foster care stuff. And in high school, I was adopted by a family. And, and as I was going through high school, I start to, to talk with people um, who have personal, who has experiences, like some of my boys back in the day. And they're either in prison, um, they're, they're still homeless. They, they've reacted to, to how they were brought up, right? And here I am sleeping in a, be, in a house that has five bedrooms. Uh, you know, the first night I stayed there, it was a coincidence. But the first night I stayed there, we had crab. And I'm like, where? This is, okay. Like, this is how normal people eat, right? Um, <laughs> So, so that, that was my life. And, and, and hear me, from that moment, my narrative changed. So all I can see was the tip of the iceberg. I was still underwater, right? So, so all I could know was, yeah, at best, I, I can earn some money. I might be able to get a house someday. But now I'm in, in with a family that changes my narrative. Like, so now I can go to school for college, which was never an option. Like, I can do things because I'm in someone else's family now, which transitions from us theologically. It's not just my personal experience, but hear me, the way the Bible talks about us in, in Romans five twelve is that sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, in this all men die because all sin. You are trapped in your sin. You will die because of your sin, because of Adam. Through that first man, you are in his lineage. Every father and every mother is in his lineage. Your parents, your dad, whoever it is, great-grandpa, great-great-great-grandpa has always been in his lineage. And now suddenly, what Romans begins to unpack in this idea of being an heir is that there isn't just this first Adam, but there's this second Adam that appears. You know his name? His name is Jesus. And he appears and he succeeds everywhere the first Adam fails. But check this out. It's not that he just succeeds for his own grandeur but he succeeds so that you can be adopted into his family. And so your story no longer is sin, death, brokenness. I go through those things, but my story's different, man. I may experience those things, but I'm an heir. I belong to a different family. Which puts in front of us a big question um, before I pray. And I'm actually going to use a section of scripture to pray. Maybe you don't know him. Like all that reality that I just spoke, maybe for the first time, and I'm not going to have us like close our eyes and raise our hands, though, believe me, I want to. That was my culture growing up. I'll have you walk an aisle and fill a card right now, okay? <laughs> Given to the Jezebel box, okay? Um, here, here, here's what I'm going to say. Um, maybe for the first time you're realizing, holy cow, I'm a slave to this life. Like Hebrews 2.15 says that you're a slave to this life, so you're subject to that, that you think that all there is is this, and you, you, you for the first time, God has woken you up. He has genesis again. He has regenerated you, and you go, dude, I don't want that life anymore. I don't quote Spurgeon. I don't quote C.S. Lewis. Here's who I quote. I quote Jesus, and this is what Jesus says to you. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. 
My prayer is that we would follow him. That if you don't know him, you would hear his voice and you would follow him. That you would realize you're in a freaking cult, man. This culture has trapped you, it's deceived you, it's lied to you, and it continues to promise you happiness and joy. But you have to see at this point, as God begins to stir in your heart, that it is a lie. It's a lie, and it's a synthetic version of happiness. He offers you ultimate joy. The yoke that you carry that is wearisome and burdensome on you, he says, I've carried that for you. I hope we follow him rightly in understanding that truth. Let's pray.